Scripture reading tonight will be taken from 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Hard, thank you. If you can't preach after that singing, you might as well quit. Thank you so much for being a part of this audience tonight and coming to university to worship with us. And again, we hope that you'll stay afterwards for Food Funding Fellowship. Uh, a month ago, I believe it was almost exactly a month ago in this series on choices, we spent some time on a Sunday night talking about how important it is to get our thinking right. I cannot overemphasize how important that is. In fact, I was thinking about as I was making preparation for this lesson a couple of weeks ago that in in a very real sense, every sermon I've ever preached over the last 51 years has this as the foundation. We've got to get our thinking right. We've got to make sure that our minds are what God would have them to be. We've got to bring our our thinking, our thoughts into captivity to Christ, as Paul said in our text. So that's fundamental to a transformed life because everything, whether it's our words or our actions, They all spring forth from our thought life. Jesus was the one who said in Matthew 12, I think verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Solomon, of course, stated that universal truth in Proverbs 23, verse 7, that's been the premise of all of these lessons. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. There is, in fact, as we talked about four weeks ago, a a war raging all around us. And there are a lot of people, some even in the church, are not even aware of it. It's not a battle that's being fought for a piece of land. It's not being fought for natural resources. The prize in this war is much more valuable than either of those things because it's for for our minds. And that's why the Bible constantly warns us, in principle, on virtually every page, that we need to make sure that we're guarding our minds. We must guard the stronghold of our minds or else everything else is lost. And it's certainly true, we have to be extremely careful, that we not only are careful about and and, uh, we we watch and and have discretion in terms of those things that we ingest through our ears and and, and through our eyes, but also we've got to be careful about what we digest in terms of those things that we we actually dwell on. I, I mentioned a month ago that if you dwell on depressing negative thoughts, then guess what? You're going to live pretty much a negative depressing life. We also talked about the fact that our thoughts affect our emotions. We feel exactly the way we think. And we'll never be truly happy. There will never be any real level of gratification or satisfaction or peace in our lives unless we first discipline ourselves to think the right kind of thoughts. We've got to think the way God would have us to before we can then act and speak and do all the other things in his service that God would be pleased with. For example, it's impossible to remain discouraged unless you first think discouraging thoughts. So step number one, rule number one, is to make sure that we're not thinking the wrong things. Rule number two is to make sure we are thinking about the right things. And that's all of Philippians 4 verse 8 in a nutshell. Where Paul said, I want you to think about what you're thinking about. So much of success or failure in life begins with our minds and is influenced by what we allow ourselves to dwell on. So I'm just, I'm asking you one more time tonight. I'm taking a second run at this theme that we've got to be careful. We've got to guard ourselves 
about what we allow to be ingested in our minds. We spent quite a bit of time uh, uh, four weeks ago talking about Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. That was our text for the study that night, where Paul instructed us to set your minds, some versions say set your affections, on things above and not on things of the earth. And we talked about why he told us to do that, why that's an important thing, and then also how that he kind of gave us some of the nuts and bolts of how we can do that. Because I think that's where most of us really, we fall off track in terms of really knowing how we can set our minds, set our affections on things above. It is a spiritual reality that we determine by our choices which way our lives are going to go. If you choose to stay focused on the negative upon those things that are depressing, guess what? That's the direction in which your life will go. But if you're focused on the positive, you keep your minds filled with the good things of God, and again, Philippians 4.8, Paul says that there's lots of good things that God has readily supplied that we can think about, then all of the forces of darkness are not going to be able to keep you from fulfilling God, your God-given destiny. But if you make the mistake of dwelling on the negative, the sinful, and the worldly, and if you dwell on your problems, if you're always thinking about the impossibilities in your life, it's very similar to putting a car in reverse and backing away from those wonderful things that God has in store for each of us. Always remembering 1 John 4 verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I want to give you a couple of additional reminders tonight and things to think about to help us to choose the right thoughts. And again, this is foundational to everything else in life. No matter what, if you're already thinking about New Year's resolutions, no matter what might be on your list, getting your thinking right is fundamental to achieving all of those things. I'll guarantee you, whatever goal you have in life, you've got to first get the mind right. You've got to get the thinking right, and then everything else will follow. So I'm going to just kind of start with the same premise that we talked about uh, a month ago, and that is we have to focus on the positive, the good, and the holy. I heard a story about a positive farmer and a negative farmer. And uh, when, when rain fell on the land, the positive farmer would say something like, Thank you, Lord, uh, for, for watering our crops. He was looking at it positively. He recognized that as being a blessing from God. But the negative farmer would say about the exact same circumstances, when the rain began to fall, he would say, Yeah, but, but if the rain keeps up, it's going to rot the roots, and we'll never be able to have a harvest. Well, then the sun would come out. And the positive farmer would say, thank you, Lord, for the sunshine. Our crops are getting all of the vitamins and the minerals that they need. And we're going to have a fine harvest this year. But the negative farmer said, yeah, but if it keeps this up, it's going to scorch the plants and we'll never be able to make a living. You know what I'm talking about, the, the two different approaches to life. Now, here's the part of this that I'm sure some of you have heard, but don't stop me because I want to hear it again. One day, those same farmers were out duck hunting. And the positive farmer brought along his brand new bird dog that he was exceedingly proud of. And he was so proud of that dog, he couldn't wait to show it out. Well, they went out in a small boat. They waited, and eventually a, a big duck flew overhead. The positive farmer pulled the trigger, boom, and with one shot, he brought the bird down in the middle of the lake. He turned to his friend, and he said, now watch what this dog can do. That dog jumped out of the boat, ran on top of the water, retrieved the duck, ran back on top of the water, and placed it perfectly into the boat. The positive farmer was just beaming from ear to ear. He turned to his friend and said, now what do you think about that? And the negative farmer shook his head in disgust and said, just what I thought. Can't swim, can he? 
Now, that's intended to be a joke, but I will guarantee you, you know people like that. I know people like that. Even if you can't possibly think of a negative side to a situation, they can. They're always focused on the negative. If you, if you have to be around a pessimist, folks, be sure to guard against their negative attitudes affecting your thinking. Because if, you, if you're not careful, they will. And stay focused on the positive, the godly things of life. Psychologists are convinced that our lives move in the direction of our most dominant thoughts. Well, you know, that may be new in Psych 101, but it was in the Bible all along. God has always told us that the direction of our lives is determined by what we allow ourselves to think about. And maybe I need to be a little more aggressive, not just what we allow ourselves to think about, what we discipline ourselves to think about, because it isn't necessarily the default position for most people. The default position is to watch the evening news and to go to bed feeling like you ought to fall on something sharp. You know what I'm talking about. The world thinks negatively by default. God says, I want you to live a richer, deeper, finer, better life than that. And you've got to realize that it isn't just changing some external habits. It's getting your thinking right. Getting what's going on between the ears correct and in a way that God can bless. It is the, an immutable fact that your, your life is going to follow your thought life. And when your thoughts have been running in a certain pattern for a long period of time, if I may illustrate, it's like digging a deep river and the water, it can only run in one direction. Imagine a person who habitually leans toward negative thinking. I mean, he's doing that month after month and year after year. And with every one of those pessimistic thoughts, he's digging that riverbed just a little bit deeper. The flow accelerates. It grows stronger as it goes. And then after a period of time, the water begins to flow so strongly, every thought that comes out of that river is negative because that's the only way that the water is flowing. The person has programmed his or her mind into a negative thinking pattern. Now, fortunately... God's word tells us, not exactly in these words, but it tells us in principle that we, as God's children, can dig a new river. We don't have to have the water flowing in a negative direction for the rest of our lives. He wants us to think differently. He wants us to go in a positive direction. So let me just say this in terms of the solution to the problem or the answer to the question. And that is that it has to be done incrementally. That is, it is a matter of discipline, it is a matter of commitment, because if you're not careful, you will succumb to the negative influence of other people, and yes, I do have a lesson on that. But it's like the old uh, saying, you know how to eat an elephant, don't you? One slice at a time. You know how to control and regulate your thought life, don't you? One thought at a time. I believe that's what God challenges each of us to do. When you dwell on the goodness of God's word, you start seeing in the best in situations. You began to look at life through the lens of faith and not fear. Little by little, one thought at a time, you are redirecting the flow of the river in your mind. At first, just a little water will be redirected out of the negative stream and will begin to trickle over into the positive stream. It may not look like much at first, but as you continue to reject negative and even sinful worldly thoughts, and you begin to redirect that flow one thought at a time, as you choose faith instead of fear, as you begin to expect the good things in life and taking control of your thought life, then little by little, that negative stream is going to dwindle, and the positive river is going to begin to flow with much greater force. 
That's God's promise to his people. And if you'll keep that up, the old negative river eventually will dry up and you'll discover a whole new river flowing with positive, faith-filled thoughts of victory and spiritual success. Now occasionally, and I've got to warn you about this, occasionally you'll be tempted to think, Discouraging thoughts. I I, I think that there are circumstances and conditions, and you understand that, that can point us in the direction, and sometimes it almost seems as if it's forcing us in the direction of the negative. You may begin to think, I'm never going to make it. My problems are just too big. They are insurmountable. I just don't see any way through this or around this or over this problem. But you know what? In the old days, you'd go back to that same negative river, and you'd begin to drink again. And you would think, oh my, what in the world am I going to do? God, how, how am I going to get out of this mess? But not this time, because now you've got a whole new river flowing. You have redirected the river of your mind. And it has gotten deeper and stronger and going in the same direction. And this time you can rise up and say, no, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm coming out of this stronger and better and with my faith more intact than it has ever been before. You can start tapping into that new river. And every time you do, you're digging that new positive spiritual river a little deeper and the water flows more freely. What is it that you're doing when you do that? You're doing exactly what Paul said to do in Romans 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, he said, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's just a practical way of saying that you're doing what Paul has challenged every child of God to do. Don't be conformed to the thinking of the world. And you know, even though you may not know the Greek words, you do know that the original meaning literally it means don't be poured into the same mold as the world. And I think that Paul specifically and primarily had in mind our thoughts. Otherwise, he would not have said, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Christianity begins, ends, and is forevermore sustained by what takes place between our ears. We've got to get our thinking right, folks. You are transforming the way you think. You are remapping the real estate of your mind. And God calls upon each of us to do that. And to to work on it on a daily basis. Let me encourage you not to be passive, not to sit back, and to allow negative, critical, pessimistic thoughts to influence who you are and the direction of your life. Learn to dwell on the good. Reprogram your thinking. Listen to Paul and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because you have this God-given assurance that if you'll transform your mind, watch this carefully, if you will transform your mind... God will transform your life. But the choice is up to us. And that's why I've included these lessons in a series on making right choices. You don't have to dwell on every thought that comes into your mind. And I know that may sound so simplistic as to not even need to be stated. But I have to tell you, I've, I, I've, I've wrestled with this myself. I think everybody has. And I've talked to enough fellow Christians to know that there are some, even in the kingdom of Christ, that do not realize that we don't have to dwell on every thought that comes into our mind. We really don't. Because if we did, then we would be controlled by and not controlling our thoughts. We would be enslaved to our thoughts. And God says, that's not the way this works. The first thing you need to do is to identify where the thought comes from. Is it a thought that's from God? Is it my own thought? 
Or is it a destructive thought that's coming from the enemy camp? I need to identify the source of the thought. Well, how can you tell? I think that the answer to that is pretty simple. Here's a general rule. If it's a negative thought, it's from the enemy. That's pretty easy. If it's a negative thought, it's coming from the enemy camp. If it's discouraging, if, it, if it's destructive, if it brings fear and worry and doubt and unbelief, if it makes you feel weak, if it makes you feel inadequate, if it makes you feel insecure in your faith, I can guarantee you that that thought is not from God. And so you need to, you need to deal with it. You need to eradicate that thought immediately and refuse to dwell on it. And if you need to write that down somewhere, I hope you will. Refuse to dwell on it. Remember the Bible says in our text, 2 Corinthians 10, specifically verse 5, we should cast down every wrong imagination and bring every thought into obedience to Jesus Christ. That means put a guard on the gates of our minds. It also means... Don't dwell on the negative, on the discouraging, on the destructive. You get rid of those thoughts immediately. And if you make the mistake of dwelling on the enemy's lies, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to allow that seed to be planted in your mind, and it's going to take root. And it's going to get bigger and bigger and grow stronger and stronger and take back over your mind. And the more you think about it, the more it's going to grow, creating an enemy stronghold in your mind from which future attacks will be able to be launched. And if you do that, then you've set a limit on your life that will be almost impossible to rise above. As we discussed in this first lesson on choosing your thoughts, you have to get in the habit of casting down the thoughts of the enemy. And you have to start believing what God says about the world, about sin, temptation, and about what we are capable of doing. You've got to Are you hearing me, church? You've got to believe what God has said about the matter. And specifically, you've got to believe what God has said about you. Remember this, if you forget everything else I say tonight. God is not the least bit interested in your family tree. There are a lot of people who are nowadays. And now because of DNA testing and the availability of that, people have gone back and they've they've traced their roots. They found people that they're related to. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a good thing. By the way, I did enough tracing of my family tree to realize, number one, it didn't branch. And number two, and I'm serious about this, we have, I have in my family tree senators and bootleggers. So, it, I mean, it goes in every direction. But it's good to know that our, our destiny is not determined by our family tree. God is not the least bit concerned about who your grandparents were. He is concerned about who you are and who you're raising your children to be and who your grandchildren are. That's that's what God is interested in. We're not limited by our family tree. He is not limited by your education. He is not limited by your social standing, your economic status. He's not interested and, and influenced in any way by your race or by your gender. No, the only thing that will limit what and how much God can do in your life is how much faith we have. And that's why we need to be working on building our faith every day. And the only way that we can build our faith is to spend time in the owner's manual making sure that we're taking God's word for everything. Realizing that everything that we need to know in life and in preparation for eternity is in the book our mothers read. Remember this, there is no such thing as the wrong side of the tracks with God. Here's a second and quick thought I need to add to the first one before we quit tonight. 
And that is that God does have immense confidence in you. If you can just catch a glimpse of how much confidence that God has in you, how much he really believes in you, then you would never ever shrink back into any kind of inferiority complex. You will rise up with boldness and confidence in God's strength to empower you for the task at hand. Remember Luke chapter 22? Uh, well, by that, I don't mean you remember that that's in the Bible. Everybody does. But specifically in verses 31 and 32 of Luke chapter 22, this is when the Lord is trying to prepare his closest disciples, specifically his apostles, for his imminent demise. He's about to be crucified. He knows that. He's trying to prepare them and get their minds ready to, to, to accept that and deal with what life will be like when he is no longer with them. And now he's, he's talking specifically to Simon Peter. And he knows and, and has prophesied that, that Simon is going, to, is going to deny him. But here's what he says to Simon. Because of all the things that he could have chosen to say to Simon Peter, here's what he did say. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Now, specifically, and I know that you've locked in on these verses, and you know what I'm about to do, but I really want us to emphasize and focus the next statement that Jesus makes. He said, and when, notice not if, but when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. That's the kind of confidence that our Lord had in Simon Peter in the face of knowing that he was going to deny him three times. When you have been converted, when you come to your senses, then you need to spend the rest of your day strengthening your brethren, and we know that Peter did exactly that. It's true that when somebody has confidence in you and believes in you, things that were once thought impossible become possible, and the possible becomes probable. That's true when other people have confidence in you. How much truer is it when it's the Lord himself says, I, I believe in you. And even though you've made mistakes, and even though you've sinned, even though you've transgressed my will, even though there have been times when you've broken my heart, I know that you're bigger than that, that you can overcome that, and I know that you can do everything that I have in mind for you, that you can, in fact, fulfill your destiny. I have no doubt that I would not... I have no doubt that I would not be preaching today if it were not for the support and the encouragement of my sweet wife. So you have her to blame. There have been confidence. There have been times when my, the confidence in my ability to get the job done was down to an absolute zero. But she was always there. And she told me that I had what it took to do the job. And she gave me just that word of encouragement that I needed. The point of all of this is not to determine whether Mia was right or wrong in her confidence in me. The point that I want you to see is that the key part of this process of getting our thinking right and keeping it right is to make sure that we are listening to the right voices. Because there's a lot of voices out in this world today, folks. I don't have to tell you that. I mean competing voices. And if you listen to some of those voices, you will lose your eternal soul. Because if we listen to our detractors, we'll give up. We'll throw in the towel the first time adversity and opposition comes our way. But if we listen to the voice of God, we'll realize how much confidence that he has in us. Remember when Paul opened his letter to the Philippian Christians in the first chapter in verse 6, he said this. Again, I remind you, these are the opening verses of his letter to the Philippian Christians. He said, being confident of this very thing, 
that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, how would you feel if you knew that someone of the spiritual caliber of the Apostle Paul had confidence in you? Enough to put it in writing, to put ink on paper and say, I know that the Lord is going to finish the project, that ongoing construction project in your life. He's not going to quit until it has been completed, until he has completed his work in you. And that's how Paul opened his letter. So the question I'm asking each of us tonight, as we choose the way we're going to think each and every day of our lives is, who, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the voice of the enemy? He's always telling you that you don't have what it takes to make it. The enemy is, is whispering in your ear that you're not going to succeed, that you're not going to, to amount to anything. No wonder the Bible refers to that great Satan as the accuser of the brethren. Because that's what he's doing. That's his full-time job. To always whisper in your ear and tell you that you don't have what it takes to be God's servant. On the other hand, God is telling you that he has instilled within you the power to rise up and to make your life count for something. And he'll be with you every step of the way as you do exactly that. God says that you have something to contribute to making this world a better place. And that you're the very person who can lead people in your circle of acquaintance to Christ And you can point those people to heaven in a way that nobody else on the planet can do. The enemy is saying that your problems are just too big and that there is no hope. But God is saying that he will help you to solve those problems. And that he'll turn those problems around and he'll use them for your good. Remember back in that great Old Testament account of Joseph. And how that at the very end when he revealed his true identity to his rascal brothers. He told those cold-blooded brothers of his who sold him into slavery, you meant it for evil, but God turned it around and used it for good. Paul said all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose, Romans 8, verse 28. So I challenge you, church, to start tonight believing what God says about you and to start thinking God's thoughts. And God's thoughts will fill you with faith and hope and victory. They'll build you up. They will encourage you. That's not just my promise. That's God's promise. They will give you the strength that you need to keep on keeping on, no matter what the conditions and circumstances of your life may be at this moment. But please always remember this. You're the one who has to choose every day whose voice you will listen to and what will be the dominating thoughts of your mind. Tonight, we hope that you'll choose Jesus. Choose to follow him if you've never yet made that commitment to turn your back on sin, confess Jesus as God's son, be baptized. What the Bible says from Pentecost forward, his blood will wash every one of our sins away, and you can start your life over again while we stand, while we sing. My only hope is you, Jesus. My only hope is you. From early in the morning